Alrighty, Lane, mate, how are we doing today? A little hectic, but that's kind of how my day goes. So, yeah. you know, no worries. <laughs> no, that's cool, mate. Um, look, I've been wanting to get on here and, and pick your brain just about a few little topics that I know so many people are interested in, um, not just about protein synthesis and all the things that you have, you know, delved deep into in your career, but also a little bit about your training. Um, I'm most fascinated about the training aspect of of things and especially when people like yourself that are doctors who actually walk the walk and do the things that you know we're recommending to people on a daily basis lifting weights and staying fit and healthy um mate i think it's a, a big inspiration for a lot of people that do follow you i wanted to just quickly touch on um your most recent powerlifting mate um mate pretty impressive numbers how are you feeling about it yeah i mean uh i'm 95 percent positive about it i finished second so that's you know it was um I mean, I, I had a great meet, and this was the guy I beat at Nationals, Mike Barrazzo, and uh, he just had perfect meat, you know, like not much else you can do about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, uh, it kind of, you know, this gets into a little bit of like powerlifting strategy, but essentially um, he had what's called a higher lot number, and essentially lot number is the order that you weigh in, and it's chosen randomly. So if you have a low lot number, you weigh in earlier, which is an advantage because it's two-hour weigh in, you have a chance to rehydrate. But when you have a higher lot number, when it comes down, I mean, really specifically only in this circumstance is when it really makes a big difference because your last, your final deadlift, your third deadlift is the only lift you can change. And um, once you've entered in a number, you can still change it. And uh, so I put in... Like we both had our seconds and he was up by, I think, two and a half kilos. And um, so I put in a number that I felt like I could hit that would push him. He put in the same number. Now, what can happen is if I missed, he can change it and then go to a lower number. Actually, he had already beaten me. Um, but if I hit, which I did, he could just add half a kilo. Because <laughs> it was, this was a, they were both records. Um, so mine was a record and his was a record. So you usually have to jump two and a half kilos, but he was able to jump half a kilo. And since he had the luxury of seeing me go first, I'm kind of like, we're kind of guessing what do I have in the tank versus what do we think is going to push him? Um, and it just ended up that, you know, he, he had that luxury. Now he had more in the tank. I probably had some more in the tank. Um, you know, if it had been the other way around, could have gone differently. It could have, but you know, like that's just the sport, you know, there's not much, what you can do about it yeah no totally well i know when i did my first powerlifting meet which i kind of did on a bit of a whim um which i freaking love like i had a, an absolute blast doing it but same sort of scenario i was in uh, a category where a fellow was about a kilo lighter than me and they took that into account and i beat him by two and a half kilos i think on the total but because he was like 1.3 or 1.4 kilos lighter than me in the end he got a, a better score than i did i did it off a, a calculation of some description um yeah. and, I ended up, and i'm getting second as well and i was just like ah fuck. but it was fun nonetheless um but you know for me i think for most people most people know you for you know being you know really uh really smart around the protein um synthesis and how we absorb protein um quickly just touching on a bit of that I just wanted to talk to you if you know 
any um, any studies or anything that's um, anything that's important for people that may be choosing an omnivorous diet or a carnivore diet as opposed to say a plant-based diet or a vegan diet? Is there any consideration in terms of the rate of protein synthesis between the two, or is it mainly just looking at the the spectrum of amino acids that are, fall within those areas or those types of foods that we're eating, or are we actually assimilating better nutrients or better protein out of say chicken or fish or beef? rather than say legumes, beans, all that type of stuff? Yeah, so there's multiple layers to this, but essentially, um, first off, uh, I'll cut to kind of the end, which is you can build as much muscle on a plant-based diet as you can on omnivorous or carnivore diet, um, but I don't recommend a carnivore diet just because it's devoid of fiber, which um, despite what they may say is good for you, never thought I'd be having to defend the virtues of fruits and vegetables. Um, but you, it may take more overall protein uh, on a plant-based diet for a couple of reasons. The first of which is uh, the bioavailability. Um, so in animal proteins, they tend to be more bioavailable because in plant proteins, quite a bit of the protein is bound up in the fibrous material of the plant. Uh, now cooking can make it more bioavailable because you break some of those bonds uh, but it still doesn't end up being like the same bioavailability. And then the amino acid profile of plant proteins is usually not as good as animal-based proteins. But there are some uh, that are pretty good. Like, for example, um, what I typically tell people who are on a plant-based diet is you probably, it will be very helpful to supplement with some sort of plant protein, isolated plant protein, because an isolated plant protein is going to be much more digestible um, uh, and like in the case of soy, I know soy has a lot of stigma around it, but we have multiple meta-analyses now to show that it doesn't really impact testosterone, estrogen, nothing like that, uh, at least at the dose of like one or two servings a day. And soy tends to have a pretty good amino acid profile. Um, potato protein isolate, actually pretty darn good. If you can find it, it's hard to find, uh, but it actually has a very similar, uh, leucine and essential amino acid profile to whey protein. Um, and then obviously you can combine. So like if you're doing uh, a corn protein actually is very high in leucine, like it's actually really high in leucine. Uh, if you combine that with a soy protein, um, that would have, that would cover kind of your spectrum of amino acids. So you do have like multiple options, but the one thing about a plant-based diet is, especially if you're in a calorie deficit, it can be hard to get enough protein without getting too much carbohydrate and fat, depending on your deficit. Uh, and so those are just considerations you need to have. But um, in general, you can build as much muscle on a plant-based diet as you can on an animal-based or on the board diet. Um, it just takes a little bit more planning um, and probably a little bit more total protein. Yeah, amazing. That's super cool. And you touched on leucine there, and that's just one amino acid that I would like to touch on a little bit more. Um, Typically, like you mentioned, in most plant, uh, plant-based plant food or plant-based sources of protein, leucine is fairly low in comparison to its you know, counterpart in the other direction. What would, um, what, is, what does leucine do for the body and why is it so important, especially for building muscle? What does it actually do for us? So leucine essentially is the amino acid responsible for triggering muscle protein synthesis. Um, so essentially at least our best understanding is the body essentially evolved instead of trying to 
since every single amino acid for muscle protein synthesis, it essentially picked one, uh, leucine, as kind of an indicator of protein quality. And if you look at from a teleological or evolutionary perspective, it actually makes a lot of sense. And the reason why is because leucine typically reflects total essential amino acid content of a protein. Um, it typically, it's, it has passive transport rather than active transport. So basically it's concentration driven. So you're, you're getting, what you're getting is reflecting the concentrations that are in the bloodstream, what's entering the cell. And it's not really metabolized much by the gut or liver. So if you were, if you were, again, if you were like the body and you were going to pick, pick an amino acid, this is how evolution works, but I'm, I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing. If you were going to pick an amino acid, you would want something that doesn't get metabolized a lot by the gut and liver. Um, so that it reached the bloodstream in quantities that are reflective of what you're consuming in the diet. And you would want something that has passive transport across the cell uh, because then the amounts you see inside the cell are usually going to be reflected by what's in the bloodstream. So that's kind of our best understanding of things. Now, I don't want to say that leucine is responsible for 100% of muscle protein synthesis. Um, based on our best analysis, it's probably like 70% of the effective protein. Uh, so there are probably other things that do come into play, but leucine is a big chunk of it. Um, and so we do know, like, a, a great example is, like, your point about uh, plant-based proteins being lower in leucine. So we actually did a study where we looked at whey protein versus wheat protein, um, both the same amount of protein uh, and same calories, macros in the diets. Uh, what we saw was whey protein was significantly better at triggering muscle protein synthesis than wheat. Now, if you got wheat high enough overall in the diet, like once you got it up to like 30% of calories, at least in these diets, um, there wasn't a difference between whey and wheat just because total protein was high enough to where they were both hitting the threshold. But those lower like 10, 20% uh, whey was better. Yeah. Now, we went back and we did that where we took the same amount of whey, but we we took wheat and added free leucine to it to match the leucine content of whey. But we found we did that. Uh, basically, muscle protein synthesis was the same. So, Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. It, it seems to be a, a pretty strong predictor of muscle protein synthesis. Yeah, wow. That's, that's so fascinating. And for someone who is an athlete building muscle, either power lifter, strong man, um, even an endurance athlete, if we're sitting down for, let's say, anywhere from three to five meals a day and we're looking to build muscle, repair muscle, all that type of stuff, how much total protein would we be looking to get if we're trying to maximize our strength gains um, for any any given individual? And how much of that should be loosing? Yeah, so... There's, again, there's layers to this. I'll, I'll answer the broad question first. So based on our like latest meta-analyses, it looks like the effect is capped somewhere between 1.6 to 2.4 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, so it ends up, you know, in America, like the whole one gram per pound is kind of like the, the rule. Um, that's probably pretty close. Um, now, there are some meta-regressions that have been done that suggest that the cap may be higher. 
Um, a lot of it depends on how you run the statistics and whatnot. I have always had the opinion that I don't necessarily know if there's an anabolic cap to protein. What I think is that the benefits, the the increase in benefits becomes so small after a certain point that it's basically undetectable in studies. So for example, you know, and I'm completely making up numbers here, right? Maybe going from, you know, one gram per kilogram of body weight to two grams per kilogram of body weight, you get a 30 or 40% benefit from that. Sure. But going from two kilograms to 2.5 only gives you like another five to 10%. And going from 2.5 to three only gives you like less than 1%, right? So it's kind of like flattening out. It never yep. totally like hits a hard cap. Um, and I don't have any research data to back this up, but based on kind of what I know and have observed in research, I tend to think it's more like that. So what I'll say is like, hey, if you're if you're worried about it, you know, throw it up that upper end, you know, 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight, something like that, or, you know, three grams per kilo of lean mass. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, you are capping it out. Yeah. Um, and you're not, in my opinion, there's not really many downsides to approaching to take that high, other than if you're on lower calories, you know, it's going to cut in how many carbohydrates and fats you can consume. It might make your diet a little bit more restrictive. Um, and if you just don't like protein. Um, yeah. You know, but you know, I would never tell people, oh, you need that much protein to build muscle. No, I mean, you can build plenty of muscle even at, you know, 1 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, will you build as much muscle as going up to two? Probably not. But again, like not everybody's looking to be the most muscular human they can possibly be. Yeah. And in saying that, so if we're looking at, let's just say, give it a number, um, two grams of protein per kilo of body weight. Let's say we've got a 150 kilo male who's looking, his ideal body weight is say 90 kilos. Would we then base his protein 2.0 off of his ideal body weight if he did want to decrease and get down to his optimal size? Is that what we're kind of doing? Or would you slowly scale it down? So this tends to be where people get really pedantic about protein intake. Yep. Um, and the body is not that fickle is what I'll say. Yep. Um, so, you know, I just pick a number. Um, like the, re the, the, the Really, if we're going to be sticklers about it, it should be per kilo of lean mass. Yep. Uh, because that is the protein requiring tissue. Um, so what I tell people is, you know, that, that cap is probably closer to, you know, 2.83 grams per kilogram of lean mass. But a lot of people don't really know their lean mass. And in studies, like, you can get a lot more data points just with straight body weight than you can with lean mass. Wow. So, okay. mm. you know, what I'll say is, you know, if you're, if you're worried about it, 2.5 grams to 3 grams per kilo of lean mass. If you don't know what that is, 2 to 2.5 grams per kilo of body mass is perfectly fine as well. Yeah, that's cool. And um, so for you, when you're going into, say, competition and you're about to get ready for, you know, uh, a heavy squat, a heavy bench, a heavy deadlift, what are you mainly consuming the morning of getting ready? Are you looking at like, Electrolytes, is that something that's at the top of your mind? Carbohydrates, what are you looking for to fuel yourself to to uh, perform optimally in, in that space? Yeah, so uh, it's very counterintuitive to what you would normally do on a weight loss diet, um, you know, for cutting weight. So the first thing I'll say is I, I do a two-hour weigh-in because I'm with the IPF, 
So I, I, if you cut too much body weight with a two-hour weigh, you are not going to perform well. Yeah. Um, so usually, like I am starting my water cut at like two oh nine or two, or sorry, uh, I got kilos here, like 95, 96 kilos. Yeah. Uh, to get down to ninety three. Um, and usually, what I'm doing is uh, a couple days beforehand, I taper down my car. Two and three days out, I take my carbohydrate intake down to about a half a gram per kilo, or to about one to two grams per kilogram of body weight to flush out some water from glycogen. I also, starting like two to three days out, I'll cut my sodium in half. And then um, the day out from the show, I try to be under body weight, actually. So I'm usually trying to be around like right at 93 when I wake up and then I'll, as I keep sodium low, I don't even cut water. As I keep sodium low, um, I will lose, um, I will continue to lose body water. But what I'll do, and I'll also cut fiber at this time. I will not consume much fiber the day before, but I'll take carbohydrates up to like three to four grams per kilo. uh, And mostly from sugary sources, that are high density, high caloric density. Because when you're that close to a weigh-in, it is more about the weight of the food you are consuming than it is the calories of the food in that short window. Long-term, it's about the calories and you're, you want to consume lots of fiber and that sort of thing. But a day out, day up, you want very energy-dense stuff because if it has weight, you want it to have a lot of calories so that you refuel. So usually I'm actually consuming quite a bit of calories the day before, but I'll continue to drop body weight for that 24 hour period. Now what I do is the day of the meet, I'll wake up, I'll weigh in, usually I'll be like half to a full kilo under, I'll continue to eat, um, I'll drink a little bit of water when I wake up, just to, and I'll kind of eat up to about half a kilo under and just do whatever it takes to maintain it there. And then about, two hours before weigh-ins, so two hours before weigh-ins, four hours before I lift, I take a big hit of electrolytes. Yep. So I'll put in like, you know, whatever I can do to keep my body weight on the point, like, um, like, a, like a three, four, 500 milliliters of water with at least 2000 milligrams of sodium, quite a few, like quite a bit of potassium and, and these other electrolytes. And I'll have that because a lot of people are trying to rehydrate after they weigh in, two hours is not a lot of time to, to rehydrate, but I'm starting four hours out, I'm getting those electrolytes in, and so those actually have a much better chance of hitting my system by the time I'm stepping on the platform. That sodium is not gonna have, like in two hours, it's not gonna make me retain a bunch of water. That's not gonna happen. But by the time I'm lifting, it's gonna help with my performance. And so I really have very had very few issues with cramping on meat day or getting lightheaded or anything like that. Um, and then obviously after I, like, after I weigh in, I usually drink two containers of Pedialyte pretty darn quickly. Um, and then I've got like water with electrolytes in it that I'm drinking throughout the day. And then what I'm eating for energy is usually like gummy bears, Skittles, you know, just high sugary foods, um, that are very easily digestible because you don't want a lot in your GI on meat day because of nerves and caffeine. You're probably going to end up in the bathroom a lot if you've got a lot in your GI, um, and then just like bites of protein, protein bars, you know, whatever, whatever I can kind of get down. Uh, but a lot of these IPF meats go so quickly that 
don't really have a lot of time to eat. So I'm just like stuffing food in my mouth in between attempts, you know, or in between, uh, you know, lifts. So that's kind of how I do it. Um, and, and I've never had an issue making weight. Usually I, I can kind of do it. So I've got like a body weight advantage so I can win on a tie. Yeah, that's sick. Like, and that's exactly the same for me when I'm competing is as soon as you get off the competition floor, it's like, how much can I consume to make me feel good? Not make me feel like I need to go to the bathroom before the next lift or before the next event. Um, and it's all about, you know, if we're doing a, say, a four-day competition at the CrossFit Games, we're eating on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for that Sunday competition to make sure that we have as much fuel in the tank as we possibly can. Because you can tell when you walk into the room, either some people have checked out and they haven't been eating well and you can tell it, you can see it in their face that they're just gone. Or you can see the people that walk in with a big, bright smile and ready to rock and roll, a little bit less sore, tons of energy and ready to rock and roll. Which brings me to the next question. Have you ever tried CrossFit? I haven't. <laughs> you haven't? No, I'm not sure I've got much good at it. Uh, <laughs> you never know. That's I can okay. with some heavy stuff. Yeah, have you, ever, have you ever watched the games? Uh, yeah, I have watched the games a little bit. You know, it's funny because you know, a lot of powerlifters like to make fun of CrossFit and whatnot. Yeah, totally. and, uh, but you know, it's just it's you know it's the sport of lifting weights combined with you know cardiovascular exercise. Yeah, and um, you know some people love it. Not yeah. me, but you know it's entertaining to watch. Yeah, and certainly. Like anybody who can do that is in fantastic shape. So yeah, um, you know I I think. Um, I think it's cool to watch. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Like it's, I think it's all good, healthy banter. We don't, we don't mind too much. It's all good. Um, yeah, which brings me to that slow powerlifter, you know. So hey, that's okay. That's cool. Look, I've I've jumped into I've jumped into a, a powerlifting meet, done some strongman comps, and then you know I've done obviously done a bit of CrossFit, but also you know gone to the other end of the spectrum and tried some Ironman too. And for me, it's more so fascinating. I don't want to ever be defined at the end of the day. Like when my days are done, I would not like to be defined as just a good CrossFitter. For me, it's all about, it's, it's about a little bit more than that to me, but I like experience and I like to be able to test myself, test my body, test my limits, see what I'm capable of. And then also put myself in situations that allow me to experience just life from a different perspective, regardless of whether it's, you know, my sport of passion, more so my passion is to experience more stuff. Um, and that's what fires me, fires me up and everybody's very different in that respect. Um, but yeah, look, I can, you know, once I jumped on the competition floor doing a powerlifting meet, I was so eager to do it again. And I think I will fire up and try and get strong and, and do it again for sure. And probably the next year or two, I'd like to get back on the platform, but I also would love to go and do some more strongman too. Cause that was, you know, that's a bit of a combination of, you know, raw strength and a bit of, you know, um, uh, dynamic capacity at the same time, you, you move in heavy loads from A to B and things like that, which I do love and enjoy. Um, which brings me to my last question, because I know you're super busy. Um, if you could give one takeaway for the listeners um, that were uh, in that they were going to apply into their daily lives to just maybe increase some vitality or increase some energy um, that you mainly see most people making mistakes with, and this could be you know attack onto some of the things that you offer in your business, whether it's you know either nutritional lifestyle coaching, whatever it may be. What are some main things that you think someone could introduce into their life to help them, whether it's sleep, a nutrition tip, or a bit of training advice? I mean, you know, it's going to be the boring stuff, you know, that nobody wants to hear, which is, you know, learn to train really hard. 
Um, I think that is a very undervalued skill. There's a lot of people who want to biohack and tips, tricks, you know, try this trick, try that trick. And I just watch them. I'm like, but you don't even train hard. Like, you don't even go. And I'm, I'm not saying that nasty. I'm just saying, like, being able to push yourself is a skill. I didn't walk in the gym able to do that. Um, that was a skill I had to learn over time, you know. And then at a certain point, I was so good at it, I had to learn how to back off of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, but most, the majority of people, and then I hear people worry about overtraining. I'm like, listen, <laughs> unless you have competed at a very, very high level, you, you may be under-recovered because of your recovery, but the likelihood that it is because you are pushing yourself too hard is low. What is much more likely is you eat like trash and <laughs> don't sleep. Uh, that's what's much more likely. Uh, I've seen very, very few people who are non-competitors, I've probably seen none, to be honest, who push themselves to the point where they're overreached if they're sleeping enough, you know, and, and eating properly. Yeah. So yeah. it's really the boring stuff that we say, you know, learn how to push yourself hard in the gym and you don't need some special, I get this all the time too, well, I want to do a more advanced routine. For those of you out there, I follow something that most of you would consider very boring. You would consider it very boring and repetitive. And you know what? People who are good at this stuff, it's usually they do boring and repetitive shit over and over and over and over and over again. And they just get really good at it. You know, you hit the nail on the head. If you need to stimulate yourself all the time by doing something advanced, you're this I mean, that's fine, but you're basically doing it because you just have I don't know, like time being hit all the time. Like, yeah, you gotta, right. learn, you gotta learn how to get, you gotta, like, that's fine to do it here and there. But if you're relying on that for motivation to get you in the gym, that's not gonna last. Um, so there's that, and then sleep. Sleep's so undervalued. I mean, it really yeah. is. Like, um, yeah. if you, if you want, I mean, it's just the thing that you can, you can do it, and immediately everything gets better. Immediately. Yeah. Like, within yeah. a week, things start yeah. to get better. You're not as hungry. Your performance is better. You recover better. Like it's just, but people don't want to do it because they want to stare at screen. Yeah, mate. And you you've hit the nail on the head for me. And this is typically when someone walks into the gym and says, "Hey, I want to go to CrossFit Games or I want to go do my first Ironman." They're just like, "What kind of program can you give me?" And I'm just like, "Well, tell me about your sleep first. Tell me about how you eat. Tell me about you know the people you hang around with on a daily basis. They're going to support you doing that stuff. And it's all the stuff that no one wants to do. That it's like the best program." the latest and greatest supplement they've heard on YouTube somewhere. And it's like, if you do the 99% of things before you focus on the 1% things and you do them really well, that virtuosity concept, you'll probably be one of the elite in the world because that's what they do. They just do the repetitive, boring stuff on a daily basis and they grind out the boring tasks so regularly. You ever watch the, uh, you ever watch the Karate Kid? <laughs> yeah, 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 you hit it. That's a perfect example, right? He has yeah. to do stuff. And the kid's like, this is stupid. I'm not even training. When he's watching all these other people doing this really advanced stuff. And this, by sheer mass effect, he gets good at it, you know, because he's consistent, you know. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I tell people, prove to me you can do the basics. And, and then we'll talk about advanced stuff. Yeah. No, you've hit it. You nailed it. Lane, mate, thank you so much for jumping on today, mate. I really appreciate it. And I can appreciate that you're super busy and 
you know, I think you're a really genuinely cool dude. And um, yeah, hopefully I get to chat with you more over the coming years and um, mate, all the best with your next competitions and hopefully see you soon. All right, James. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too, mate. Thanks a lot. No worries. Bye.